0: All right. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to continue uh, our series through the Lord's Prayer. And we're into the second half. Actually, we finally, finally made it to the second half. Uh, we have spent four weeks getting to this point, point. and I hope uh, that they've been encouraging to you. Uh, I hope that they've been inspiring. I hope that as we kind of go really slowly, like four or five words at a time through this prayer, uh, that, that's helped you to pray, that has encouraged you to, to pray in certain ways and to uh, pray the way Jesus taught us. So far, all of our messages are on our website, as well as a couple different podcast players, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google. If you've missed a week, by all means, search for Trinity Bible Church Canmore, and you should be able to find them there. There's a remarkable number of Trinity Bible churches in, like, North America. Uh, so make, I mean, you can listen to other people's sermons too. I'm okay with that. But if you want ours, make sure you tack on Canmore. Otherwise, I don't know who you're listening to. But as we get to this point in the prayer, there is a distinct shift that happens. And so uh, maybe I'm going to read it for us and just see if you catch the shift in kind of the language of the prayer. I, I, I bet you will. Jesus taught, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and for- forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Did you see the shift there in between verse 10 and 11? Yes, okay, I've got a couple of <laughs> nods, okay. We moved from your language to our language, right? Did you see that? Your uh, name be holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now give us this day our daily bread. Uh, and it's important to note too that it's not give me this day my daily bread, but it's ours. And so as we pray, this is a, a plural hour that we're praying. We're actually praying this for one another as well, which is uh, a good thing to do. So we've gone from your to our. We've, we've shifted from talking about him, and now after four weeks, We come to us. We've moved from praying for God's glory to our good. I love how J.I. Packer puts it. He says, uh, having expressed our burning concern for his glory, we now express our humble dependence on his grace. And I've lost everything here. Uh, Boy. It was only a matter of time before something didn't sync right and I don't have a message. Let me see what see what I can do here. Is it back? No, it's not back. Aha! It is back! Yes. <laughs> Just going to need a minute here. All right. Let me get my head back together by reading that John Stott quote again. Man, it's good to know the heart still works at 150, 60, 70 beats a minute. We've made a shift in this prayer, and as John Stott says, it's now that we have expressed our burning concern for his glory. That's first, that's foremost, that's what we've done in those first four phrases those first four weeks we now express our humble dependence on his grace there's a reason that this prayer has been ordered the way that it has see sometimes again i'll speak for myself i suspect i'm not alone in this but sometimes when i prepare to pray when i get ready to pray i get the laundry list together right god i need this god where's my sermon it's supposed to be in the text here God, I need you to handle this thing. I'd really like to grow in this area here. God, I can't find my keys and I'm running late. My knees pop every time I bend over and my back clunks every time I stand up. You know the list, right? It's maybe not quite the same as mine, but you know the list. We have this list when we come to God. But if we learn from this prayer, if we learn from the model prayer, when we ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, and he taught us to pray this way, and then just kind of dwell on the steps. You don't have to maybe use the exact words, but if I start following this prayer and and I open with our Father in heaven, and maybe my mind kind of goes, you know, God, it's crazy that I get to call you Father. And it's so amazing that, that you're in heaven, and yet you loved me and you loved us so much that you sent your Son to earth for us. And then I follow the next step, and I'm like, hallowed be your name, God. And maybe I think, God, I don't know how well I've been doing that these last few days. I've I've sometimes let other things slip into that most important spot in my life. I've prioritized some other things. I've worried about some other things more. I, I don't know how I stack up there. But then I continue, your kingdom come and your will be done. And maybe my mind shifts and I start to think, you know what, God, sometimes I get in the way of this prayer. Sometimes uh, I, I think my kingdom is the most important and my will are, are most important and these things are often uh, constantly trying to take over my thoughts and actions and the way I speak and the way I treat others, but God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I ask Lord Jesus, come. Please come, keep your kingdom coming. We look forward to it arriving in full. And it's only after I've got through those four steps of this model prayer that now I get to me. And now I get to us. And sometimes at that point, the laundry list is just a little bit shorter. And so we don't, as well, when we get to this point, we don't want to take this too far and say we should never pray I prayers or me prayers or we prayers, worrying that somehow we might wind up too focused on ourselves and not enough focused on God. But as this model prayer models for us, it's about perspective. It's about rightly ordering our requests. See, our perfect, holy, heavenly Father delights when we come into his presence and and pour out our hearts and share our needs with him. Jesus tells us to ask for things, even as we read that prayer. He tells us to pray for our daily needs. He tells us to, to daily ask for forgiveness of our sins and to daily ask our Father to deliver us and rescue us from the evil one, Satan himself. And so it is good to pray for these things. Uh, Again, John Stott helpfully says, a true understanding of the God we pray to, the the one who is heavenly father and great king, although we put our personal needs into a a secondary place, we don't eliminate them. He says to actually decline to mention our needs in prayer on the ground that we don't want to bother God with these little things is actually as great an error as to allow them to dominate our prayers. So it's good to ask for things, it's good to, to ask for our daily bread, but let's just keep it in order. He concludes saying, "'For since God is our Father in heaven "'and loves us with the Father's love, "'he is concerned for the total welfare of his children "'and wants, to bring our needs, trust, wants us to bring our needs trustingly to him, "'our need of food and forgiveness "'and of deliverance from evil.'" And so it is good and right to pray for all these things. Yet it's best to start with praying for God's glory and then pray for his grace and our good. And so we pray. As I was doing some reading on prayer this week, I came across this acknowledgement. We've used it a little bit before, but I really like it. He says, If if prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie equipping us for spiritual warfare, which it is, it is a wise strategy for us to ask our commander-in-chief, who is also our father, for the essential equipment and reinforcements necessary for victory. Uh, Warren Wiersbe is also correct when he says, Satan wants to convince us that prayer is a waste of time. But the word of God and our own Christian experience assures us that prayer is a key to God's treasure of grace. And so we pray. And the first of these three petitions that we pray for ourselves is give us today our daily bread. Now, when Jesus was teaching this prayer to his Jewish disciples and his Jewish listeners, I'm I'm pretty sure that one of the first things that would have popped into all their minds when Jesus said, pray this way, give us our daily bread, or give us our bread daily, one of the first things that would have popped into their minds would have been their ancestors walking in the wilderness. And if you recall that part of Israel's history, it's written back in Exodus chapter 16, And at that time, God had instructed the people to only gather what they needed for the next day. Remember, they were in the desert, they were complaining there was no food, and God God said, okay, I'll provide. And every morning, he provided this manna in this desert. And he told them, just go get what you need today. Don't gather more, don't gather less, put in the work, but only grab what you need, except for the day before the Sabbath, then take two days so you can rest on that Sabbath day. And the people who listened, had their food. The people who gathered more than they were supposed to, who thought, ah, you know what, maybe Tuesday is not a great day to be gathering, so I'm going to gather double on Mondays. They woke up, and it was rotten and filled with maggots and stuff, right? So in the same way as, as God instructed them to gather daily so that they would daily have to rely on him, Jesus teaches us to pray for daily provision from God. That doesn't mean, of course, that we don't use wisdom and and, have some savings for a rainy day fund or retirement, whatever that might look like, or school or kids. Proverbs talks about wisdom there as well. But as we pray for our daily provision, it helps us develop this continuing and conscious dependence on him. And just a little bit of an aside. Uh, in the original language, this prayer, give us today our daily bread. The, the word today is right at the end, which was the, kind of the focal point, the highlight point. Today is the most important part of this sentence. And this prayer really ties to what Jesus would say near the end of chapter six as well, when he starts talking about worry and anxiety. If you go down to Matthew six thirty-three, Jesus teaches, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added or provided for you. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have worries for itself, and every day, each day, has enough trouble of its own. Now the lesson here, as hard as it can be, is that if God cares for us today, then surely he will provide for us every day of our lives. And so we ask daily. One writer encourages us this way, he says, the best way to prevent anxiety is to consciously trust God for today's bread and then trust him again tomorrow for tomorrow's bread. Now, worry and anxiety are are big deals, are more than, uh, you know, they're important things that affect many of us in many different ways. And so I don't want to just stand up here and drop a Bible verse on you and say, if you believe this Bible verse, you should never have worry or anxiety in your life ever again, Right? I, I know it's tough. I know it's tough to worry about today and leave tomorrow's worries for itself. But we start small. We can even try to ask God to give us enough faith to worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Maybe that's our prayer. God, I, these things, like, just let me not think about what I don't have to today and let me deal with today's and get there when I get there kind of thing, right? So Start small. Start praying those, those, those small help me today prayers and then slowly build up day by day that continuing conscience, conscious dependence on him. Paul later writes uh, in Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Yeah, sure, Paul, thanks, that's easy. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Everything, we take everything to him. So our prayer is this, give us this day our daily bread. Now, often in our country, and many like it, we pray this part without really thinking. Because many, or maybe most of us, have never actually wondered where our next meal is coming from. There's uh, a lot of talk in the last few years, especially about those one-percenters, and how the one-percenter should be doing more, and carrying more weight, and paying more taxes, whatever that is. And this isn't going to turn into a conversation about tax policy, I promise. But if we think globally, okay, instead of our little... Canadian bubble or Canmore bubble or North American bubble, if we think globally, if you're earning more than about $60,000 a year, which works out to somewhere around $30 an hour, you're a one percenter. I fired up the old Google machine this week and checked on some facts. 46% of the planet, so we're talking three plus billion billion people, live on less than $5 a day. And 10% so somewhere around 700 million, 750 million people, on under $2 a day. And so there are literally billions of people praying this prayer desperately every single day. Lord, I don't know where my bread's gonna come from. You gotta help. And my point in sharing stats isn't to guilt or put any shame on any of us, but rather to remind us of a bit of a global perspective. For us, I find it's often to, to pick on or, or blame those rich people while conveniently setting the line for rich just above our own tax bracket, right? Now, historically, the church has been really good at this, caring for the poor, caring for the outcast, and it ought to be one of those key outworkings of our apprenticeship to Jesus. If Jesus, as uh, Deb left, so I won't look for her, as Jesus said, uh, you know, we care for the, the poor, the naked. You visited me in heaven. You fed me when I was hunger, hungry. All those things should be part of our walk with Jesus to care about those things um, and live those things out. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And it is really a prayer of, of genuine humility. It's a prayer that, that denies our self-sufficiency and humbles us so that we turn, uh, turn our honor to God. We, we end up honoring God with our, again, continuing, conscious dependence on Him. And so we can't let our uh, avail- availability of food or wealth in general trick us to thinking we're self-sufficient, which happens often, right? The story of Job, uh, I was reading it, uh, reading it in a Bible reading plan right now, actually, the story of Job reminds us that everything we have is dependent on God. D.A. Carson says uh, asking God to give us today our daily bread shouldn't be empty rhetoric for us as though we're praying one thing just to get to the next part of the prayer. But disciples of Jesus are to learn to trust their Heavenly Father to meet their physical needs. And in James, James 1.17 reminds us as well that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Now, Thomas Aquinas was uh, uh, one of the most significant theologians and philosophers in history. He lived in about the 1200s or so. And when he was writing and teaching on this passage, he noted this. It it is God who gives us, who provides us with these temporal goods. Uh, That's signified in the words, give us this day our daily bread. But then he went on to describe five sins that typically crop up and are committed when our desires get out of order. And instead of praying for our daily provision, we kind of do what the world suggests to do, and we try to grab all that we can instead. And so the first of these things is that we uh, sin by trying to desire things that are beyond our state and condition in life. This is kind of one part keeping up with the Joneses, and one part looking at the life someone else has and say, well, why don't I have that? He says, this vice draws a man or woman away from spiritual things, Inasmuch as it makes him have an overwhelming desire for things that are passing and he knows that jesus didn't teach us to ask for delicacies or not for many kinds of things or not for things that are over refined but to ask for bread which is common to all and without which human life cannot be sustained the second sin that we tend to fall into when we don't regularly pray give us today our daily bread is is we start to chase after and collect these temporary things at the cost of others. This would be using or abusing others in the process of us getting more. Whether that's cheating someone out of a position, whether that's uh, not knowing where our products come from, and others paying a, a massive price for us to have our luxuries. The third thing he he reminds us that uh, is a sin we may walk into is excessive solicitude, which is not being content with what you have, but always wanting more and lacking in moderation. Which reminds me of Proverbs 3, verse 8, where the, the writer says, Give me neither wealth nor poverty, but feed me with the food that I need. He does say, though, but give us this day doesn't mean we don't think about the future, uh, the Lord didn't intend to forbid people to take thought for the future. What He forbids is that we shouldn't anticipate things by presuming to worry before it's time. If some concern is laid on you now, that's what you should be worrying about, not something that you may be responsible for in the future. Uh, the fourth thing He says, and I just like how He phrased it, so I'm going to keep it there, even though we'll probably never use these words, but immoderate voraciousness. Love it. And this, he says, what we may find ourselves doing is devouring in one day what should have been sufficient for several. He says, we're taught to pray to seek bread. And people who are immoderately voracious, they don't seek bread just for today, but they seek it for 10 days. And finally, ingratitude is the last sin we can step into. We can grow proud in our riches. We can grow proud in all the things we have and not recognize or even forget that what we have comes from the Lord. Now, as I uh, read this list and, and prayed through this list a bit and, and wrote down this list, man, I, I can see myself dropping into each one of those categories at different times. And so as we come to pray, we should ask the Lord, even now, uh, of these five things, is anything, do I tend towards one? Jesus, can you, can you show me where, where maybe I'm, I'm, I'm drifting into one of these areas of sin? And then we can ask his forgiveness and turn from those things and go back to praying for our daily bread. Now, sometimes, as readers get into the Bible... Uh, People look at a passage and then try to to shoehorn those words into an analogy, saying, oh, actually, this means this. Or actually, if this is actually a picture of that which represented this, which now this is what the author is actually saying something over here. But often, and I would say usually, depending on the type of literature we're reading in the Bible, because there are different genres of literature, but the words, they're not trying to trick us. Okay? Usually, uh, they're not trying to hide something from us overtly, but they're telling us what we need to know. And so this prayer that we've looked at, give us this day our daily bread, is one of those passages. Over the centuries, people have tried to shift this prayer to mean all sorts of different things. Well, bread can mean this, and bread can mean that, and bread actually means this collection of things. But let's not overthink this one, okay? Jesus says to ask him for things for our daily things. He tells us, hey, uh, I've taught you now to to pray to God our Father, to hallow his name, to pray for his kingdom to come, to pray for his will to come. And I just want you to know, you have a Father in heaven who is the creator and sustainer of all things, and you've you've honored him rightly with the first four phrases of this prayer. But he also delights in you asking to have him meet your needs. He, He delights in you asking four things from him because it displays our our right dependence on him. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, even in Isaiah 61, God says to the people, Jerusalem, I've appointed watchmen on your walls. They will never be silent day or night. There's no rest for you who remind the Lord. And don't give him rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. He's saying uh, through the prophet, don't give me rest. Keep asking for things. Keep, keep, Bringing your request to me, don't stop. A little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, the next chapter, actually, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And, again, it's not supposed to be a language lesson, but one of the things that our English loses in translating it from the Greek here is it's, it's more of a, a, a perfect tense. It's keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, don't give up, and you'll find it. And keep on knocking. So It's, it's ongoing, it's consistent. And they say all that, that we should be, Jesus says, ask for daily bread, so we ask for daily bread. And yet at the same time, this prayer reminds us that the Lord doesn't want to just take care of our temporal daily needs, but also our eternal needs. And the one who meets those needs is the one who called himself the bread of life. If you want to flip forward to John chapter 6, in verse 32, we read, Jesus said, In truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. So he's tying us back to Exodus again there. And now the Father offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world a couple of verses later in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. See, in Christ, we have a meal to fill our true and greater hunger. Skip down a little bit further in the chapter Verse 53, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have uh, life in yourselves. I heard a story of a, pause there for a second, I heard a story of a, a fellow pastor who came to know Jesus later in life, kind of in university, he came from a, a non believing atheistic house. And, and so he was reading a, this, this passage out loud, and his family and friends were like, Are you a cannibal now? Because this is kind of. Jesus continues the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. We're not actually going to eat his flesh and drink his blood, but the representation of what it means, of course. It says because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like your the manna your ancestors ate because they died but the one who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is saying that his body and blood are our bread and drink because like food, his death and resurrection satisfy our great need to be rescued from sin and death and our deep hunger for him. Yet unlike those who ate the manna in the desert, we only have to eat this meal once, come to him once, and then we continue to celebrate communion to remember what he has done for us. And as he promises, Jesus promises, everyone who comes to Jesus for their eternal need will be satisfied. Let me pray for us, and then we'll turn to the communion table. Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for, uh, I guess, uh, reminding us and allowing us to ask for things. It, it speaks to who you are, God, that, that you are, in fact, yes, uh, our Father in heaven. You are holy and other and so different from us as, as imperfect people, You're so separate from us. It is good for us to pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. And yet, you want us to come and bring our request to you. And so even right now, we, we lift up those things, those those burdens that are on our hearts, We ask you for your provision. We ask you to help us carry, help carry us through whatever stress and worries and anxieties are, are deep on our heart this morning, right now. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you for your provision. And Jesus, we thank you that you came and and you uh, became one of us and you walked this earth as as we are. You took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood and and tabernacled among us, as the uh, beginning of John says. And you showed us how to rightly relate to our Father in heaven. And you showed us how to rightly relate with one another and with, with the earth itself, with creation itself. And then in a, stunning and amazing display of praying your own praying your will be done you went to the cross for us even though you didn't deserve any bit of what you took you went to the cross to pay for my sins and for our sins and you experienced the pain and the suffering that came with that not only physically but but spiritually as the father turned his face away and for the first time you experienced not being connected to your father in heaven then we thank you that three days later you raised from the grave. You are resurrected from the grave and you conquered our three greatest enemies in Satan, sin, and death itself. And now you have made good on this offer that you taught in John 6 and that you completed the work so that if we look to you and and see you as the bread of life, we will never go hungry. And so as we take communion together, we thank you for... uh, your body broken for us, and your blood shed for us to, to make this new covenant where we, we turn and put our, our hope and dependence to you. We ask you to forgive us our sins and, and help us to turn from them and turn to you. And because of what you've done, we can be seen as children of the creator of the universe. And you've given us the right to pray our Father in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.